This week's episode is brought to you by the potato. I'm terrified of Joe Sackett getting out jammed by. That's all. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Seth, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for February 18th, 2019. Coming up on the show, I made a joke last time about giving the Avs the middle finger because they would have won one game this month so far, and yikes, came true. Plus, the trade deadline looms, and we long for the sweet release of April, but before we do the whoosh, you need to know who's doing all these things. Joining us, as always, is Earl Osip. What's up, Earl? Hello, friends. Also joining us this week is Rudo. Hi, Rudo. I remember what time the pod is occasionally. Occasionally. Also, on on time this week is Tiger Vixen. How are you? Hello, I'm good. And we also, for a few minutes, have a very special guest this week. It is Mr. Tiger Vixen. How are you doing, guys? Welcome aboard. Colorado sits three points out of the wild card spot and five points out of last in the conference because the West is hilarious trash this year. Minnesota sit with 60 points, then above them in wild card one is Dallas with 63. The post Mikeo St. Louis Blues have recovered nicely, and the third in the Central is 65 points. Who would have thunk? Between Minnesota's 60 and Colorado's 57 are Arizona, also with 57, and Vancouver with 59 points. So yeah, the, the the playoffs are just right there, even though it feels like there's absolutely no way this team will win more than one game in a week from here on. Since we spoke last, the Avs have lost 6-3 to the Columbus Blue Jackets, 4-3 in overtime to the Washington Capitals, 4-3 in overtime to the New York Islanders, 2-1 in overtime to the Boston Bruins, 5-2 to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and 3-0 to the St. Louis Blues. They did pick up a win on Thursday, 4-1 over the Winnipeg Jets. But y'all, this stretch has been absolutely brutal. They've won five games since Christmas, and let's talk about the last one. Two tight periods, and then everything went to shit. How was it in the arena? Well, my special guest and I were at the game yesterday, and I feel like the first period wasn't that bad. The second period, the Avs... I, they start slowing down, and then the third period, the the regular old collapse happens. And how did you see that? I saw the exact same stuff, but my three takeaways on this game, what I saw was, at the very end there, uh, I saw a lot on Twitter about everybody's blaming Varley for uh, those these goals. And what I saw was the first one was uh, on defense, absolutely. The second goal was on Varley, because uh, he was just too much of a posture up off the ice. And the third one, obviously, is the coach, because you just pulled the goalie, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> my other takeaway is uh, how, how the Blues were able to get a guy open to score the first goal on a five-on-five and yet the Avs had three power plays on the five-on-four advantage and only two shots on goal. Uh, that is where I'm kind of confused on how that could happen. We, we ju- it just seemed like we couldn't get uh, open to save our life to shoot on, sh- to shoot on the goal. 
Yeah, we're confused about that too. <laughs> <laughs> the power play is certainly a big issue. I agree with you there. That, and I apologize for the background noise, by the way. My my heater has started doing this, so I'm gonna try to keep myself muted when I'm not talking. But when I am, unfortunately, you're gonna probably hear this whining sound. Um, my observation on goal one was that Miko Rantanen was covering Tyson Berry. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I. I honestly think part of it's on Landeskog, too. Uh, if you go back and watch the play again, Landeskog is in the slot, which is a good place to be when you defend, but the only person on that side of the ice is Tarasenko on the half wall, so Landeskog is essentially supposed to be covering the passing lane there, and he wasn't. Yeah, yeah I felt like your video review broke that down pretty good, showing that Landy was, wasn't covering anyone. I know Miko got a lot of heat for that goal, but I agree with you. I think Landy was just as responsible on that one. And and then also, why was Barry basically covering like a forward? That part didn't make sense either. Yeah, that was weird. Like, both Barry and Johnson were on the same side of the ice as defensemen, and it, it got really weird really fast, and then they all stared at the puck with their thumbs up their asses, so... Why was Barry doing that is a pretty evergreen question in his own end, though, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, why is he the fourth man out from the goal? Um, and on the second goal, like you said, you, you could maybe pin that on Varley. It wasn't great defense by Barry and Graves, but... It was shocking it, by Graves. Let's be very clear here. <laughs> that was awful. Yeah. but That, that is just as bad by Barry, to be yeah. honest. Um, yeah, I, I agree, though. Uh, when Varley is playing his best, he makes that save. Yeah, or, you know, if the Avs are getting any goaltending luck at all. Um, you know, I, I looked at it, those two goals yesterday. If you're getting lucky, you save one of them. Um, so with no luck, you get neither. And that's just, that's that's kind of the way it, it's been going lately. Um, a, a question for you two that were at the game. I, I heard a lot of reports that there were a lot of Blues fans able to cheer for their team towards the end of the game. and. Is that true, I, and, and how did that sound? No, absolutely. There was, uh, I'd probably say maybe 30% of the stands was uh, blues. Ugh. Whenever whenever the Avs would start chanting, you know, let's go Avs, the blues people would start in, and it would actually take over. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty sad. I would say it was like that from the beginning, yeah. So it was 30% blues, 30% Blackhawks fans, forty <laughs> percent Abs fans. Well, I mean, it's tough. You know that that sound blues is just louder than Abs. Like it's gonna naturally take over even if it's not as loud. So you're just kind of out of luck with with that if there's any Blues fans at all. So if you, if you sold your tickets to a Blues fan, first of all, how dare you? <laughs> Gotta get well, that money. As a Bronco fan, we're used to with Pittsburgh and New England and everybody coming over. So yeah. Yeah, it's disappointing. Like, you get a, a lot of Pats fans at Broncos games? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's pretty bad sometimes. So I just I struggle with, with putting anything in that game on Varlamov, honestly, because he was super strong, especially in the first when the Avs did get shelled for a few minutes. Um, he has really just been a lot better recently in general. We haven't really seen the meltdown games. Even when he got yanked against Toronto, like... I really don't know what you want him to do. Bender's trying to do something, anything to get his team to do something different. 
I mean, at that point, it's probably too late anyway, but, like, Varley's not the reason that they were down 4-1 to when he got yanked. So, like, just, just in general, he's been significantly better lately. It's been a lot harder to pin every loss on goaltending. And I agree. And it doesn't really help when the the first line is on a milk carton. Like, what? Where'd y'all go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. How'd you feel about how the Stars did? Did you feel like McKinnon and Rantanen and like the, the stars that you would expect to do something. How did you feel they did yesterday? I I thought they did okay. I mean, I wasn't really looking uh, on the, on the forward side of it. I was really looking on the defense side, just looking at the past av scores. I'm just getting kind of blown out. And so that's where <laughs> my focus was on. Yeah, I didn't, I, I mean, I, obviously they didn't score, but, um, you know, they, they were fairly positive in their shot share. And, you know, I, I think when you're going against a strong defensive line like the Blues have as their first line and you sort of cancel each other out, you know, that that's sort of a game when you're you're looking to your lower lines to, you know, win one of their matchups and, and win a close game. And that, that just oh, didn't no. happen. Because what are the lower lines here? You've got... Uh, Carl with with Nieto and Calvert, which has been much better recently than it was earlier in the year, even though it's still not necessarily the line we want to see deployed. <laughs> Partially because that then leaves you with the so-called frat line, which is Joe's Comfort and Kerfoot, and is disgustingly bad. That, that Won't line, a score yeah. a goal-a. Was that, Were that they as bad in person? Like, who, who was the worst player on the abs in this game for people that were there live? Is there anyone you? Yeah, is there anyone you didn't you really didn't like? No, I, I think uh, it looked like Barry was probably the worst on there. Just uh, the two bad uh, goals with him yeah. being on the line at the that's, time. That's definitely fair. Yeah, <laughs> I, w- I would say Jost was not any less frustrating seeing him two feet away. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember yeah. if Tyson Jost was back the last time we did a show or not. I don't think he was yet, but no. he is back no, in the AHL wasn't. if you have not paid any attention to the Avalanche at all, which I would not blame you for, um, because this has not always been watchable. But but Jost has been back and looks to have basically returned as the same player? Yeah. I don't yeah. like. I don't know why anyone thought anything would change in the AHL for him. Like... <laughs> Five games down there isn't going to fix the problems that he has. I mean, it was he was down there for almost a month. Um, and it's just they, they threw him back in the same situation expecting different results. I, I think it's more coming back to the to the frat line that that makes him look the same because it's just, you know, we, we know this doesn't work. And we know it hasn't worked ever, and we know it's probably never going to work, and, and yet we still see it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, obviously I, I, the line's not helping him, but you still saw the same things where he's super soft along the boards and can't hang on to the puck. Like, if they're going to put him in that role, then nothing's changed, even if it's not with the frat line. Right. He has well, the puck slow on the doorstep with a defender kind of near him, not even not between him and the goal. And him and Jake <laughs> Allen made eyes at each other, and then he failed to pass. Like, what are you? What would? What do you do here? What is your purpose if you can't even shoot that? Like, really? 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I struggle with whether keeping him in the AHL longer does anything. I don't um, think it does. Like, I think he should be in the NHL, and it's not a great situation, but I, he's wasted in the AHL too. So find a different role for him on this team where he can function and use him in that. Right. Well, if, and if we're getting into the Joe's conversation, then I think we should spare our special guest and say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of starting to, starting to glaze over here, guys. <laughs> thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you thank for you coming on. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. You too. All right. So, yeah, Tyson just being poop. Continue. <laughs> yeah, so what do you do with him? I mean, you know, obviously Greer has been quite good um, against Winnipeg. Yeah, AJ Barron um, and Dominic Toninato got called up in the last couple of weeks, and we've actually got a functional fourth line now. Shocking. Yeah. So Toninato scored in his second shift. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, so <laughs> we know we want to break up the frat line anyway, right? So drop Jost to the third line center. I don't think he's a great center, but the Avs desperately want him to be one. So drop him to the third line. Tell Calvert and Nieto, hey play the shit out of defense and just let this kid be a rover and see if we can figure out, get something to get him going. And as a bonus, you get Carl on the second line, who's our only decent depth scorer right now, so. What? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, no, I'm I'm reading something else. I'm sorry. Um, um, it's, a, it's about Mark Stone. <laughs> Continue. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know... Obviously, Bednar doesn't want to do that and probably won't do that because he's already done it once, almost twice. And, you know, it, it just seems like he's not willing to make that sacrifice. Well, um, then he's going to lose a lot of games. <laughs> he already has. Um, <laughs> I, well, you know, I, I just I, I think putting Jost on Soderbergh's wing, I, I think trying to make Jost a center right now is silly. He's not, I mean... They trot him at center on the frat line, and that lasted a couple of shifts. So yeah, he's not a center. He's just not. Who's playing right. center on that line? Because they're all people that are kind of miscast Kerfoot. at center, but they're trying to use them there. Kerfoot's been in the center. Okay, I, I'll say I think Benner's strategy is just do the same thing and hope the November Avs come back. <laughs> Which at this point we're getting close to three months. Probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but get, getting back to the Joe's part about, but then what's he hoping with the frat line? Because that was never good, not even in November. So. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Maybe he came back with a little bit better confidence on the puck. I don't know, but that seems to erode quickly. You know, and, and all right, say Wilson comes back. You know, he, he he won't be back on Monday, obviously, but um, you know, he, he <clears throat> could start skating soon. If you get Wilson back, you can put Wilson with Kerfoot. There's some con there, there's some chemistry there for sure. So that would move Jost down to the fourth line. Um, that's probably where he needs to be from now on. Um, you know, if you if you if you're not going to break up Carl's line, I just and, how have we circled all the way back around this year to not being able to break up Carl's line again? This like <laughs> I thought we were past this. Yeah. At least this time no. they're doing something like useful. Are they? I mean, I you know, 
I I I look at Carl's line is is a as a line that you need to play a lot for them to produce anything offensively. Well, it depends and on what you yesterday, want from them because like they're they're driving play the right direction. That that's really hard to question. Like they're they're right. driving play in the right direction. Does it result in anything? No, but that's a very it results a useful, in shot suppression. Yeah, it's a useful line. It's doing a thing. The difficulty is: is that thing so important that you can't try something different? No. Yeah, when you have a line that is doing the exact opposite of that, yeah. <laughs> no. When you score zero goals, your priority can't not be shot suppression. Well, if you move right, Jost and, and down, who are you moving up? Then, I mean that that line doesn't work either. No, it'd be Wilson. It'd be, well, he's not available. It'd be Carl. No, that's what I'm saying. When I mean, obviously, we're going to have to deal with the frat line until Wilson comes back. Um, you know, unless they put Sven up there, because I mean that actually worked out pretty good yesterday putting Sven with those two even though it's still sort of the same deal with three small guys that really can't Sven looked functional for the first time in months so that was nice he also looked a little bit prone to hero mode which is always frustrating with him because he has the tools to score but not all on his own well I thought that worked well when he was with Greer and Toninato I mean I thought I thought he had a really good game in Winnipeg um, just because I th- I think when you have two big guys with Sven, that gives him some space where he can do his his you know Rocco ish things in the zone and <clears throat> you know he can be sort of the the guy that holds onto the puck a lot, but he doesn't have to deal with you know being really weak in the defensive zone. So yeah, so they sent away Tony Auto and Dries, and I'm skeptical either those will be available tomorrow. So I think then we're back. Will be. Then we're back to They're not 12 put forwards, Bork including in, Borg. Hold on, what did they do? Tonato and Dries, yeah. They're in the AHL for at least one game. Yeah. Uh, the, my sneaking suspicion is one of them is going to stay there. Yeah, I think Dries I think will probably stay to- there. No, uh, if I had to pick between the two, we know Bender likes Dries much, much more. And... Tony, Tony well, if you want a only... center, that's your pick. I mean, well, that, that they haven't cared it... about having a center up to this point. So well, it certainly look good in Winnipeg, though. <laughs> sure, and that's why they played Tone and Otto in the next game, and then they weren't doing well, and he played the least out of anybody, and then they sent him down the next day. So that's usually not a process that leads to increased responsibility. Yeah, he definitely played five minutes more than Dries did yesterday, though. But Dries has, what, 30... At least it's a little bit over 30 games played this year, and Tonato has two? Yeah, I I mean, it, <clears throat> by that metric, for sure. But it's, you know, if you look at the success that that line had in Winnipeg, and, you know, by all accounts, Bednar was a big fan. Um. Right, you know, and that, that bites was... you one more game, and that game already happened. If you're, <laughs> if you're well, going to bring one of them back, why do you send them down? Like the team's nowhere oh, close the, to the that, Eagles. That, are seriously so... hurting. Sure, but I, they, I think it has more to do with rolling... the Eagles. Okay. Well, they don't really care about the Eagles. Like I think they they've do. been. <laughs> the Eagles have been rolling out a crap lineup for several games now. 
They, they have many centers. Me. Yeah, right. They have one natural center right before Toninato came back. So the Abs care more about not paying extra guys to sit around NHL pay on a daily rate. Is more what they care about. And does that with really matter? One day of those two. It doesn't, but to the Avs, it does. I mean, I just don't think that's true. Like, yes, for some reason, it seems like they try to save pennies, but at the same time, this team has never been afraid to spend to the cap either. So No, but that's like that's a completely different category. Like, yeah, we'll buy out the, this guy $5 million, it's fine. But they're paying on 10 daily, times more for McCormick than they were for Bodan, so... Right. But <laughs> I doubt that has to do with the AHL team either. No, so, I'm just hey, saying they're spending money. <laughs> if one of these guys, on a, like I said, it's a different category. Like, why pay for a guy to sit around if you don't have to? Like, I, I think, again, this is the Avs' misguided idea of, hey, we moved our AHL team closer, so we should use it. Never mind, they're on the road. But... <laughs> It's like, look, we're getting them more games, even though what they really need is NHL time and practices with the NHL team. But that's not what our priority is, even though it should be. So Right. Their way of looking at, hey, the AHL team is here, isn't looking at the calendar and saying, hey, the Eagles rarely play during the week. Maybe we should try to figure out how to get guys up during the week to give them NHL experience. That's what a smart organization would do. What the Avs do is say, look at the schedule, let's see how thin we can go, because they've been running this whole time with six defensemen. So if Barbario comes off IR today, that's an extra player, so then we don't need to carry any of these extra forwards and see how bare bones they can keep their roster the whole year. That To them, that's the advantage of having the AHL team close. And like you said, regardless of the fact that chances are at any given time, one of the two teams is on the road, so you're not exactly saving with being able to send a guy down whenever you feel like it. I mean, hey, I could be wrong. Maybe they'll call up one Dreiser Tonato, but I doubt it because... For tomorrow's game against Vegas because they they're gonna fly commercial back from Stockton tomorrow that takes time it's just if you sent those two guys away today you knew that they're not gonna be an option for tomorrow well I mean they've done it before I just who I mean who do you have Wilson back I mean who plays Wilson's he not forward you just play Wilson Bork. has to practice. Oh, Bork. Him. Right, okay. <clears throat> yeah. See, I forgot about Bork. It's uh, funny how that happens. I mean, willingly playing play. Bork over a prospect at this point in the season is just a sham. It's pretty negligent, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been negligent all year. Well, the thing is, if you're going to play Bork ever, and you might have to at some point, like, you know, if those guys don't make it from Stockton tomorrow, you know, you'd have to, whether you wanted to or not. Um, but the thing is, he hasn't played in, I don't know, five, six games or something like that. So it's like, I mean, you can't keep a guy sitting forever. Right. Sure, you can. <laughs> I, mean, you can I, I mean, I don't mind that philosophy, but there seems to be that nobody sits for more than, you know, four or five games. Unless it's Barbario. <laughs> then, then you just put him on IR. Feel like it. <laughs> I mean, Toninato has more goals than Gabe Bork this season, so... <laughs> 
He's one goal per game. <laughs> no, it went half a goal per game. <clears throat> so um, we kind of hinted at this, and by, which I, by we I mean I kind of hinted at this a minute ago. Um, but on on the subject of things that actually make a game to game difference on the fortune of the Colorado Avalanche, obviously their organizational decisions make a long term difference and, and matter over time. But in the in the realm of game to game, since December first. I'm going to read you all some numbers. Gabe Landeskog has one goal and three assists since February 1st. Um, Nathan McKinnon has two goals and two assists. And Miko Rantanen, one goal and one assist. Rip. Yeah, that's not that much. It's not good. Um, it's I, In Rantanen's case, especially, he does not look anything like he did in the first part of this season. I don't yeah. know why exactly. I can't pinpoint it, but he's not doing any of the things he used to. He doesn't look nearly as strong as on the puck as he did. He's not shooting the puck nearly as well, and his passes aren't getting through either. So it, the wheels have just totally come off for him at this point. I should hasten to add those are 5v5 numbers. Do you think it makes a difference? No, because probably they gets scored. worse if you count the power <laughs> they play. Yeah. They haven't scored a power play goal in February, so I'm gonna bet there's not a whole lot of non five v five numbers. Nope. I would also add. Um, well, I was looking at the last seven games, which were the ones that have happened since our last podcast. So I don't have them, including the Vancouver game. But I also believe. The elite offensive defenseman Tyson Berry has one point in that span. Oh, I just closed it. it. Regardless of his offense in that span, his defense has somehow degraded even further. So yeah. He's been on the ice for the most goals out of anybody on the team in that span, too, which is nine in seven games. Tyson Berry, zero goals, one assist. So not good. <laughs> yeah. It is a One thing I'm assist, noticing. So well done there. <clears throat> One thing I'm noticing a lot with the top line is that they're they're swapping Gabe and Miko back and forth between left and right wing. Um, you know, is it is that an attempt to, you know, sort of hide them a little bit? You know, it, it seems like teams have been able to gear towards stopping Miko on the right side. Um, lately, so maybe you know moving him over to the left side a little bit just you know makes it a, something that the opponent hasn't seen. Um, you know, I don't know, but I I mean I definitely agree with what Rudo said. Is you know it, he's just not strong in the puck. He's not he's not creating space or separation like he was earlier in the year, and that's something you kind of expect anyway as the season goes along. But you know, you still you still should be able to create a little bit of space with his talent level, and he's not. And Nico's he's not had shooting. chances, but I agree he hasn't quite had that beast mode gear that he had earlier on. I mean, the whole but, line is, it feels like they're all individual, right? Whatever chemistry they had seems gone. I, I thought they had a lot of chemistry in the Winnipeg game. Yeah. I thought when they uh, actually were, were going against St. Louis, they looked really good. They just didn't accomplish anything. 
I don't. Yeah. I I'm not seeing quite the same connection there, though. I guess they do show flashes of it, but a lot yeah. of the time it feels like McKinnon carries the puck in by himself and tries to do something, and it doesn't work. Well, he does have well, 34 shots it, this month. Yeah, I mean, it, at least it does feel like they're attacking the middle like they used to do, and and sort of, you know, that that's something that's that's been. Yeah, that a complaint the, we've all had is sort of running everything through the point or gearing towards point shots and, and not attacking the middle, and that's sort of uh, you know a plan of attack that they needed to abandon and, and you know get get their shots in closer and, and they have been doing that the last two games. That's true. So the maybe last couple that games. will yeah yeah so maybe that will sort of produce a little more of of what we expect out of the top line, but. It has no, to. It's, it's probably going to be a habit that's hard to break. I think switching them probably from either side doesn't help defensive zone coverage. I mean, you can't Nico be worried be about the defensive zone coverage anyway <laughs> with them. Yeah, it's not really their job. It's basically Gabe and the Pips on defense. Um, just curious, do do you guys know who the February points leader is for the Colorado Avalanche? I'm sure I don't want to. Probably know. Calvert. <laughs> is it EJ? It's EJ. Two yep. goals and three assists. And then you've got four players tied at four points. It's Gabe Landis, Cog, Nathan McKinnon, Sam Gerrard, and Matt Nieto. Yep. Oh, yeah, that's true. Nieto has been picking up points. They're yeah. all assists, but he has picked some up. Uh, Nieto, Nieto had two great assists in the Winnipeg game. Yeah, that sure assist did. to Ghetto was beautiful. Yeah, and the pass to Comfort was fantastic, shorthanded. So you know what might help get the top line going? Getting the power play going. What's going oh. on? Why are the three players north of the circles? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, that, that three players on the blue line thing is just... How can yeah. you look at that and not vomit? Like, It's getting I worse. I just can't imagine that's how they're drawing it up. I don't they're know. They're doing what they're told. To right. Do. Like the the problem I have with it is if you want to start with three players at the blue line and have one of them slashing to the slot, that's fine. But they start there and then they all remain on the perimeter and nothing happens. Something happens, yeah. they lose the puck. <laughs> Fair. And it's like I, I mean I noticed Comfer who's taken Wilson's place there, you know, he's had some decent opportunities. But, you know, like two of them. So it's like, you know, if, if you get comfort shots from the slot there, you know, he's going to bury them at, from time to time. But, you know, you need some volume to make that work. And it's like if they're sitting there messing around with the puck in the top half of the ice, that's just that's not getting him the volume he needs. It needs to be blown up at this point. There's, yeah, it was, I agree. It was, it was bad. It's been bad all year, but... Could say statistically they still get goals, blah blah blah. Well, I, now they've gone an entire month with no power play goal. You you cannot just roll out the same guys in the same formation and think that it's just going to get better. They need to mix up the personnel. I'd put Barry and Miko on the second unit. I'd put Sam and Carl in the first unit and just do something different. I don't think it like i don't think personnel fixes like players fixes it because i think the yeah. abs have fooled themselves into this idea that landis has been so good at tipping the puck in this year which is great right. 
but they're playing for it on the power play to the extent that they're killing themselves with it because you can't tip every puck in. It's impossible, and half the shots you take aren't even going to make it to Landy because they get blocked, so you're just right. killing yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah the I, system I, has I definitely an think that's too. Part. I think personal could help. Like, if you put somebody who's actually got a scary power play shot or a scary point shot up there instead of Tyson goddamn Barry, then maybe. Um... But the way it's built right now is, is Tyson Berry puts a weak shot toward the net, and every once in a while it goes in, but not lately. But nothing comes of it. The, um, yeah, I mean, they, and we've said the this point before. They need to attack the middle like they've been doing in 5v5. Yeah, I mean, right. Just uh, do that. We've and... said this before. And, and another thing we've also said before is the second unit was really clicking early in the year because they were doing those things. And then they started yeah. playing like the first unit and became worthless. Yep. And that's just not changing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. the entry's painful, and we complained about the drop pass, but back then it still usually was effective. Then you have now the second unit doing the drop pass to, like, Kerfoot. It's, it's, any argument that you have of, like, let's have <laughs> McKinnon carry the puck, it's because I'd... he's McKinnon. Like, does not apply to whoever's doing it on the second unit. And now teams know that it's coming, and they half the time disrupt even the drop pass it's just the worst one was the ha- the Habs game where they they decided they yeah. were anything they were going to do was going to to prevent that drop pass they literally just had the high forward skate in behind the <laughs> original puck carrier and wait and be like drop pass it please <laughs> and this, the I'm worst open. part of all is that worked yep yeah it worked so well but, but I mean, I, I mean the drop pass I works can't believe they're not letting us drop pass it. Yeah, like, <laughs> the drop pass, I'm not a fan of. I've been clear of that, but there are way bigger issues right now. It, so, yeah. it gets but you not, in the zone. not getting the entry. Job. Well, when it does that, yeah, you could say you don't like it, but it works. But it's becoming, le- the entry is becoming more and more of a problem, which this is the Eagles' problem with the same system, is the system does is failing on the entry, then it's failing on getting shots through. They also give up the puck on a breakaway the other way. Like, at least once a power play, the other team gets a grade-A scoring chance. Well, a lot of that is shooting from the point, and it ends up in the middle right (laughs) where they want it. You know, it's like if you're the opposing team, you're just dying for somebody to shoot from right in the middle of the ice on the blue line because it's just like that's a guaranteed clear. That's how they gave up the the goal to Capitan against Toronto was they had like a million players around the blue line and Sam said, I guess I'll throw it on net. And a stick got clipped and the puck went right (laughs) to Austin Matthews and Capitan said, bye, y'all. It. You know, we talked on 2A about Tyson Jost on the Eagles power play in the AHL. Because he was really good on their power play. And the reason why is because he would skate into space once they gain the zone. And the Avs don't do that at all. It really really bothers me, especially with Tyson Berry, because the Avs work the puck around the perimeter. They just pass it back and forth. And eventually they work it down low and get it back out to Tyson Berry. And he has the option to, like, skate in 15 feet before shooting or just shooting. And he always just shoots. Which is weird, (laughs) because I will say, one of the best things he does on 5v5 is he knows how to jump up into the play. So it's not like something Berry 
isn't good at. If there's it, one thing he's good at, it should be that. The, the problem is it's like a basketball team on the rush. Like when they're already <laughs> moving their feet, it's great. But from the half court offense, they can't get their feet moving again. They're just stuck in the mud. Yeah. And then neutralizes their best quality, which is speed. So then try Jost on the first unit. I know it's not just a personnel is going to change it, but if if we're if we're at this point, we know then the abs aren't willing to change the system. The best we can hope for is that they would change the personnel around, which I think has gone beyond stale. And they have to. If they're unwilling to change the system, they have to at least try changing personnel is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I'm fine with the personnel change. I don't think Jost would have the time or space to do what he did in the AHL. But <laughs> It'd be worth a try. And I, I think maybe him with Sam, because Sam, of the two... Between him and Barry, he does use space better yes, on the power no, play. I, Sam's the best player on the team about walking into space, for sure. Any change you make within reason, any change you make on the power play is worth doing at this point. Definitely. I, I don't <laughs> want to see Gabe Bork on the point, but within reason, <laughs> any change you make is worth is, is worth doing. And I, I really do think the power play is... A big reason for the what you're seeing is kind of a lack of chemistry on the first line compared to what used to be there because they're not making some of those plays they were making earlier in the season with the you know the hot passes between a stick and a skate that makes it across the ice to Miko who can bury it like those those kinds of passes are just not there anymore because there's nobody even on the half wall they're all above the circle there's just there's no attempt to actually make a play happen and it's I I think a lot of that is probably confidence because, like you said, you know these players can make plays like that, but it's the losing wears on you. It it it's all these things that snowball. It's hard to get out of, and you would think one good game might spark them, but it's going to take so much more than just one game. I. Yeah, I don't know. It's almost like oh, we're giving up too many chances the other way on our power play, and it's a failure to recognize what the issue is they think the issue is well our forwards aren't covering back but the real issue is our defensemen need to stop shooting it into the first defender <laughs> well their mentality on the power play has always been like snipe it like mckinnon and ranton very much get into like the you know we're gonna pick the top corner we're gonna go post it in things like that and on the power play you just have to get messier you just have to you have to attack more. You have to be willing to to get a bit dirty, and they they're just always so pristine about what they want to do on the power play. Just get closer to the net. I mean, it's like from where they're shooting from. It's not surprising things aren't going in because they're not close and they're at a bad angle. <clears throat> One thing I wonder about is. You know, this is sort of an opposite of what we used to fear when when Patrick Wall was the coach. Is a lot of times I've seen Jared Bednar justify doing something with, well, the analytics tell us X. And you know, sometimes I wonder if they're relying too heavily on analytics and not on the eye test. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but <laughs> well, I mean. Maybe on the power I, think you, play. I, I think you need both when you're a coach. I think if the analytics are telling you something and it's not working. Um, There's no way they're a slave to the analytics because the analytics would tell you to yeah. never dress for the frat line wouldn't exist either. <laughs> and I, I think numbers versus eye test is like a 
close, but not quite the right framing. I think maybe it's, you know, the yeah. the, the analytics and stats in theory versus in practice. Yeah. Maybe they use analytics to support their ideas rather than... And we don't know what they looking look at. Looking for solutions. So. Right. Like, he references that I do believe they look at it, which is good. It, I think he definitely looks at it on a game-to-game basis, like the scoring chances, the possession, yeah. you know, all that, which is good. I appreciate that, but I don't know if I'd want them to be so on the other side where they're a slave to whatever the analytics tell you but i think it is fair to wonder how are they applying it because if you're looking at the numbers for certain things well i mean i just i I look at something like you know not wanting to break up the carl's line and i i think it goes beyond just sort of like you know a desire to have three veterans playing together i mean i think there some of the analytics that they're looking at say that playing those three guys together is optimum and I, I mean, again, they're they're not wrong that Lion is very effective at suppressing shots, but it comes down to th- yeah. theory versus practice. Like in theory, right. yes, you need a line that suppresses shots. In practice, you're not scoring goals. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what the problems they're going through is applying what they're looking at as far as the data. Um, you know, it's it think you know the data right. can tell you something, and it's insightful. They're, but if you don't take that knowledge and apply it correctly, then it's going to hurt you. Right. They're way too down deep on the micro level there, right? They're like, all right, yeah. if we perfectly tune this one line and they forget that the big picture of their whole lineup isn't functioning. Yeah. Well, you just need to look at Carl's statistics. I mean, he, he already has a career high in goals. And then you look at his assist numbers and he's not even going to get anywhere close to the capacity he even had when he was in his first year with the Avs. It's not even talking about a different team and a different system. It's it, There's just so much lost capacity there. That would drive me crazy. But, like you said, if that's all they care about is Carl and his line suppresses shots, then that's what you're paying for. Yeah, I mean, I think their goal with that line is, you know, suppressing the opponent and picking up a goal here and there. And that's, you know, that's what they do. Yeah. Um. But it just it takes them more time to do that than if you spread that sort of skill set around the lineup and did the same with the frat line. Yeah. So I mean, I just I think that's where it's blowing up on them. Yeah, the Avs need goals full stop. They don't need a goal here and there. And the, yeah, the right. Blues are going to suppress their own shots because they just they play a slower game. You you don't yeah. necessarily need whatever. This is all super speculative. Um, so we're, we're playing a little bit of uh, projection on what exactly the avalanche are thinking here. So I'd like to move For on sure. to something that is objectively true, which is that Ian Cole kind of got his ass kicked. He sure did. He, uh, his fa- we don't know if he really made contact with, with Kuznetsov or not, but he certainly kind of made the play like he was trying to give him the chicken wing to the dome as he went by. And, uh, Tom Wilson said, that's my job, sir. Excuse me. I have to destroy you now. <laughs> I mean, it, it sucks that he got seriously hurt, and the refs definitely let it know, go I, a bit long. Yeah, I don't know if that was their after the fifteenth punch right to his face. I mean, yeah, it's it so, still though feels like he kind of had it coming, and it happened. Oh yeah. yeah. 
He was a dumbass for even trying that. Plenty of karmic justice there. (laughs) Right. So what it comes down to is instead of, you know, kabonging the guy and getting a three to five game suspension for a ridiculous and useless hit, he instead got suspended for X number of days by Tom Wilson (laughs) because that dude's orbital bone is kind of a mess. Yeah. Pretty much. And it's terrible because, you know, before, you know, going into that game... I'm looking at like, oh, you know, like it'd be great if if Cole kind of missed a, a game or two and and sort of got, you know, a little bit of rest, maybe a little bit of perspective on on some of the things that are going wrong in the defensive zone. See, and the problem is you thought this that is what we end holding up. a monkey's paw. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had no fetishes around the house at all. I just, you know. <laughs> I'll say I don't think their defense has been worse without him. That's, yeah, that's an illusion, though, because it's just the next man up that's getting overexposed. And so, you know, maybe the depth is a little bit better because they brought Graves back, but there's still people playing over their heads. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long run, you do want Ian Cole in the lineup. And and I do well, think sure, that, you, wanted- you know, a game or two off probably would have helped them a whole bunch, but, you know, not the rest of the season. Sure, you want an NHL defenseman in your lineup, but I don't know. They've been more, they've gotten more points over the stretch without him. They had better defensive games. They aren't having as many of the holy shit breakdowns. Are they, or is it just Varley bailing them out now? Uh huh. Yeah. That's where I come down on uh, this one. But, I mean, I. Losing Ian Cole just means that now we see too much of Nikita Zadorov. Right. It's it's the same problem, just different dude. Yeah. And, and also, after the Toronto game, um, Coach Bednar made some changes to the PK system-wise, uh, which seemed to be paying off. I certainly hope so, because that PK was dreadful. Yeah, that was... Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> if you missed the game against the Toronto Maple Leafs and all the surrounding discourse afterwards... The Avs gave up three power play goals in under two minutes? Yeah. So, yeah. Which is tough. So that was finally the straw that broke the camel's back. That was the final straw. Was the Toronto game. Even though the PK had been falling off for quite a long time before that. And, and I mean, this is just another thing that I think goes back to analytics. Because I, I do think that... You know they were, uh, you know they're working under the assumption that analytically, the way they were playing was fine. And, and you know you see people that say like, oh the PK was great. You know it's just the goalies were letting them down. And and you know it's like if you watch the games, you're like, no, like seam passes getting through is what's killing them, and, and that's why the goalies' save percentage is so bad. You know it's like the team takes one shot and it goes in. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> the shot goes in the low danger bucket because of the way danger buckets are calculated. Which you're generating yeah. from five on five, and I'd... those shots are through the seam, go all the way outside the dot because that's just like that's the shoot angle that the shooter then has with a wide open net. Well, right. I think with the seam pass alone, it's you can specify it down to that one specific pass. Like, okay, this was bad. We need to stop that pass. And then Toronto came in and said, "We're making five passes through your slot before we score on your face." And <laughs> the Avs didn't stop a single one, and they went, "Huh." That seems way worse than we might have thought. 
Yeah, because it was three different kinds of, of seam passes, if you want to call it that. It's like one was straight through the middle, one was from the goal line higher, and the third was a, a rebound bounce. So it's like three different shots made it through from basically, you know, right to left as you're looking at it. And it's just, you know, if you look at that as a coach, you're, you're saying like, you know, this is a breakdown that goes beyond, you know, just moving a guy a bit higher to, to close off a gap or something like that. It's like, you know, we, we can't let the passes even start really. And I, I think they've moved towards being a little more aggressive in, in pressuring people. Um, before they can try to make a pass like that. Well, that's what they've needed for a very long time. I think isn't, so. Isn't that what, that what they were doing when they used to have a good penalty kill? It's Pretty sure much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what they so did So I don't know how year. you would notice there wasn't a difference. I get I that's that's why I wonder <laughs> well, if they look at analytics and say like well the you know the numbers are saying we're doing the right thing and just not getting the result. Does does Bennett do the PK too? No. <laughs> there definitely was a time when you could look at the penalty kill and see okay goaltending is absolutely oops absolutely letting these guys down if I can get the words yeah. out of my face. Um but that stopped because they said all right well if they if you're going to let every shot through we're just going to block every shot. And uh, that yeah. just kind of blew up in their faces when the goaltending came back, because um, I mean the, the penalty kill hasn't been good at all at any point in this season. But there's been more than one cause. There's always more than one cause, and it's not the same causes at every point in the season. Things change. Yeah, it just it, you know it just looks like an adaptation problem. They're 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 really slow to adapt when somebody exploits something that they see. They sure yeah. are. <laughs> that goes way beyond the power play, right? And it's just that you know, I I think they're loath to change because they're you know they're sitting there saying we like when you know we we like what this you know thing is whether it's Carl's line or the PK strategy or the power play strategy, and you know it it it, it has to be something big for them to really make a change on it, and you know that's just that's tough to deal with. And I understand not going completely crazy the other way, changing everything all the time. Right, you can't be Patrick Wall either. Right, blowing up lines all the time. If if you ask for a coach that makes a ton of changes, you're going to have like McKinnon on the fourth line or some BS like that. But yeah. we're way beyond the point where consistency is going to get you out of whatever problem you're having. Brad, the abs are consistent, consistently bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you change is required, right? So, more or less, yeah. What it comes down to. Yeah, but at, yeah. The the special teams on that does particularly bug me as well because you know every team in the league watches special teams footage. It's just so, too easy not to. Right. So if once it stops working, you should consider changing it. If it stops working over a longer period of time, about half of how long it hasn't worked for the abs, then you yeah. kind of have to change it. And it seems like that's something that's kind of like an abs hallmark. It's like they have one good idea, but once that gets figured out or beat into the ground... They don't have anything else up their sleeve, and I, I don't even think that's a Bednar issue. That's just like it's that seems like a very hallmark of the Avalanche. Yeah, no, they they do fall in love with ideas. 
Yeah, sometimes. So do you guys want to go ahead and talk about next week? Sure. Because next week we have, uh, well, I say next week. Let's talk about the next eight days because it seems kind of silly to do a show next weekend and then do a trade deadline show. Yeah. Agreed. So um, the next time that you can expect to hear from us is probably the evening of the trade deadline. And if you're in the Burgundy Rainbow Discord, you know that we'll be in the staff chat pretty much all day long. Just talking noise. Making fun of all the trades the other teams do. Yeah, let's do that right now. Um, so the Senators <laughs> plan to deal Matt Cringing Duchesne. in the corner. <laughs> the, the Senators plan to deal Matt Duchesne, which my reaction is... <laughs> Have there... Please do, yeah. So, my other question is, have have there been any deals worth discussing yet? Because I don't know if there's been a single deal of any consequence since the Leafs traded for Jake Muzzin. <laughs> of course, now that I say that, there'll be six blockbusters tonight after we record the show. But, like, the Oilers and Flyers made an underperforming goaltending swap. Cam Talbert straight up for Anthony Stolers. That was puzzling. Colorado traded J.C. Bodan to the Senators for Max McCormick. That's Colorado the Eagles trading with the Binghamton Senators in what's probably Joe's who deal of the season. So I'll let you guys expand on that a little first, since I know nothing. It was a bad trade, regardless of how you feel about Bodan's ability to make the NHL. Max McCormick is not a useful NHL player or AHL player, really. You should be scared the potential exists that McCormick will play for the Avs this season. And that's why the average fan should be concerned about this trade even if you don't care about the development system or value or assets or anything you should just be concerned that you could see McCormick in an abs jersey yeah I mean it, it, the, the thing that, that kills me about it I mean it, you know obviously trading a 21 year old for a 26 year old is dumb but um, you know, now we're seeing the Eagles uh, have real problems with no centers and <laughs> You know, they traded a center for a wing, and it just, you know, you've just ended up hurting the team at the, you know, to just get some more experience and a guy that that punches faces. And it just, you know, it's just such horrible logic. If If it is just an AHL deal, that's worse than if they actually thought that this could benefit the NHL because... Because for another reason why is he's on a one-way contract. So they traded a second-year pro on an ELC and also under team control next year for a pending UFA veteran who is on a one-way contract. Like, why would you do that for the AHL? If you want to make AHL trades, you can get plenty of guys out there on AHL contracts if you're so right. hard up for a veteran. And- and to be clear, McCormick is the antithesis of younger, faster. He is older, slower in every sense. Right, he has less scale, less speed. He's just... The reason why they traded for him is he has 70 games NHL experience. You can see they're thinking that if they needed to call up a forward, that there's there's now a forward they can call up that has... NHL experience because there's no way they're going to give any other forward their NHL debut, probably including Cout at this point. So what they want is a forward at their disposal they can call up and use. He's so far down the depth chart. I don't, that's just I don't think it's ever going to get close to calling him up. I just think the only way that this deal makes sense, and this is again from a know nothing outside perspective, is to compare the contracts 
Um, the, o- the only thing I can take from this is that they really wanted to move on from J.C. Bodan. Why would they really want to do that? I, I don't mean, know. He's... That's the only yeah. conclusion it, I can make, though. If you want to move yeah, on... I, I, I agree with that. You, you, I do, I mean, too. They, just, they wanted to get rid of the contract. I don't know why, <laughs> then you, then you them, get, but... Then you get rid of, like, Nantel or someone that, that's on an expiring contract. They're going to do they're that, going, too. <laughs> they're going to need four words in the AHL next year. I mean, you they're guys all argue Bowers. with me. Well, we're not even sure Bowers is going to They sign. need to make room for Tim Magali, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys all argued with me, like, a month ago that Bodan still had, like, an NHL chance. And by next season, that he was going to that they were going to work him up into a role next season where he'd be ready for an NHL chance. And that's the reason why they were playing him at wing I, is because they were getting him ready for an NHL chance. I, and now it's because they wanted to move on from him. I, no, I think that because, was more of what we wanted, not what we thought the Avs would do. <laughs> the reason why he was used in this trade is because Ottawa knows the queue very well. They also had a, a prospect... Francis Perron, who was a teammate with Bodans for several years, they knew who he was. When Sackick had his heart on for some fourth line depth, they probably asked for Bodan, and the Avs were like, okay, because they didn't care about him. It's not like they were shopping him. It's because another team saw value in a prospect that the Avs didn't value anymore. And even if you don't care about Bodan, this entire process should be a concern to every single right. person. I, I think that's the bigger issue here is yeah. not necessarily Bodan, but you're trading youth for old tweener NHLers, and it flies directly in the face of what they've said in the past of wanting to develop their system and players over the long term. The only way this comes yeah. out to make any good kind of sense is if it eventually comes out that JC Bodan is like a serial murderer or something. <laughs> His dad's a cop. <laughs> exactly. He knows how to get away with it, dude. So yeah, let's but... um let's throw reality to the side. That can be hard, but let's throw reality <clears> to <throat> the side. What do you want the abs to do in the next week? Apart Sell from Colin Wilson. Apart oh, from boy. win hockey games. Apart from win hockey games. What do you want the abs to do in the next week? Sell so. Colin Wilson. I mean, Brian oh. Boyle got a second round pick a week ago. <laughs> so if you can't get anything for Colin Wilson, man, I yeah, don't know. but you were buying respect there. That was the respect act. <laughs> oh, I mean, they also oh. traded a seventh for Cody McLeod. So <laughs> Colin Wilson has Stanley Cup Finals experience. Okay, that's what you're paying for. Yeah, well, um, Cody McLeod has they... getting punched in the face experience. Sure does. But, I mean, if you can get a seventh for McLeod, like, you have to at least be able to get your fourth back for Wilson, right? If you can get a seventh for McLeod, you should be able to get something for Andrew Ghetto. Mm-hmm. Um, my private fantasy is the Avs trade Tyson Berry. For? <clears throat> um... You know that's tough. I can I can go several ways on this. You know, if, I I wouldn't mind a hockey trade. You know, if if we're talking, you know, a, a top six a forward from somewhere straight up, or you know, maybe somebody Michael, adds 
a little bit of something on on either side. You know, I'd be fine with that. If it's a futures deal, I'm okay with that too. My concern with a hockey trade is it's going to be a player in a similar contract position where they have one year left. Now, if it's somebody the Avs are willing to pay up for and think they could extend, maybe that makes the situation better. But you're not going to get a top six forward with term on a good contract straight up for Tyson Berry. It's not going to happen. Unless it's Florida that's just trying to get rid of all their good players so they can sign Panarin and Bobrovsky this summer. Well, hey, if Herbido for Barry straight up is on the table, they should not have put the phone down. Yeah. Barry exactly. should be gone already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apart from that fantasy, I'm okay with the futures trade. I think a first and a close to NHL ready A or B prospect would be a fair trade. I, I, think, I think you can get more than that. I mean, you look at what think- Muzzin got and that's, you know, add a little bit and that's Barry. He's cheaper, though. Barry costs more money. It, a team picking up Barry for two playoff runs or whatever is going all in, though. So they're going to yeah. be looser with prospect stuff, too. Right. A lot more so, uh, roster players. Well, I'm yeah, saying exactly. I would hope I, I would hope for a good return there on the prospect side. I would hope for somebody good enough that the Avs could potentially pencil in for next year and a first i think that's a fair return for barry because if you look at it that's basically what we got in the duchene deal we didn't know sam was going to be a real nhl defenseman he was basically a close to nhl prospect so it's not much different from that situation so i mean a a barry futures deal has to start with a first whether it's this year or next definitely and then definitely yeah. yeah And, and then you, you go from there. I mean, honestly, you got to think that a team that's adding Tyson Berry to give themselves two years of playoffs runs is thinking, you know, the 2021 is the one to give up. And that, that's I'm fine with that, too. Yeah, yeah I would be fine with that, especially since we have the two this year. And then you never know. Someone could do an Ottawa and be a lot worse next year than they anticipated. I, I mean, I still think Berry's worth a first and a, an A prospect plus. Like, he, another maybe B or to a B and a C prospect, whatever you want to call it, after the fact, too. Sure, I yeah. think there's a lot of variance there in a future steal. I do. Yeah, but I mean, either way, I, I, I think you know. I know you've said this plenty of times, Jackie, but it's, it's you know, it's time to move on from from Barry. And I know yeah. it hurts the team in the short term, but um, you know, it's like if you want to head start on on revamping your power play for next year and. and you know, sort of looking at changing a system and then maybe not using the point shot from Tyson Berry all the time. You know, th- this is a great time to do it because, you know, the playoffs are looking like a bit of a stretch now. And, you know, I, I really think it gives you a head start on on dealing with that. And anything that you get that might be close-ish, um, you're, you're going to be able to get, you know, those players in the return you know, either into the, the NHL lineup or perhaps into your AHL lineup you know, if they're amateurs and end up leaving early. Yeah, I mean, something like that. Makar's right there, too, right? He, he is the heir apparent to the offensive defenseman to lead the abs. And I, and I know a lot of people don't like that argument because he's still magic beans. You don't right, know no, what he's going to be able yeah, to do. I wanted to get to that, too. Yeah. Because you can't just sit on your hands forever. Yeah. You, you have to bet on something. If you want to bet on Barry, then extend him, do what you have to do. 
the abs aren't going to do that. We already know it. So <laughs> yeah, if the abs were were going to pay Barry, they would have done it when they signed him to this deal. Right. They knew the second they signed him to that deal, what what were they going to do? Pay more for him on a long term contract when he's a pending UFA? No. Like they had made the decision at that point. Right. So you you are you should bet on Makar anyway, but now you pretty much have to. Well, it's it's not like it's just Makar has to be Barry or else they're screwed. Like you, they're yeah, in a position they where they Barry. I mean, they probably don't. Right. You have what you have. Sam. You, he has almost 150 NHL games experience. Now we're not talking about some some prospect with him. You know what he can do. He can pick up Barry's production on the power play, which is where half of his points come from. If if he is not the dynamic element that Barry brings. Well, then Makar can at least bring that element. Even if you're not counting on him for 60 points right off the bat, he's at least going to be able to bring that element to your team. And then there's a a whole bunch of other defensemen that can pick up the minutes. Like, they're not going to be hurting for minutes without Barry. And it, it is like the perfect scenario where you take him out and you're not just left with this gaping hole. Like, there's, there's a committee approach to replacing him, plus the potential of Makar being able to do what he does or even better. So I hate that argument of like, what you have to see what Makar is before you move on from Barry. Because like you said, if you're just wa- if you wait all the time, that's how you always lose value. You have to look at it as I would prefer them to do it now versus at the draft because, like you said, Having Barry for two playoff runs, there's value in that. In a team that's desperate, that's looking at being able to go for it this year, being able to add somebody like him to their lineup for this playoffs and next year, there's some that is something that teams will pay for. And yeah. the re- if you give that up just because you're like, I don't know what McCarr is going to be, is, is just a very scared way to look at it. Well, plus, if you get rid of Barry now, you have time this summer to figure out, like, aha, you know, if we pencil Makar in here, then this is what we're actually going to end up needing. And you can address that need, you know, not in sort of like a week's time, but you have, you know, the spring meetings plus all of June to think about it. So I think you may overrate Sam Gerrard's offense just a little bit and underrate Tyson Berry at 5v5's production just a little bit, but otherwise I would like to co-sign every word that Jackie just said. I yeah, think you I, mean, I, I, just, to... I don't think you need to play like the Avs do because they have Barry. I mean, I think you can take a more well-rounded approach to generating offense from the blue line. Yeah. So now let's uh, let's kill the buzz and bring reality back into it. Sorry. What do you think the Avs are going to do this deadline? And I would like to start with Zed. I feel like there's a lot of smoke around Zadorov, and that's a concern. Usually when there's this much, it seems like something is going to go down. And I'm not a fan of the idea of getting rid of Zadorov. Um, you know, as much as I have pounded the table for sell, 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 I'd be pretty perplexed if he's the only one that they decide to sell. Like, I could get it if they sold a lot of pieces, and then you could say, I'm being hypocritical because I want them to sell, but I'm clutching this to Zadorov. 
But if this is the only thing they do to sell, I, I find it absolutely ridiculous. Well, so here's the reason we're clutching to Zadorov. We just talked about how easily replaceable Barry is, even if it's by committee replacement. What Zadorov brings to this defense is something that no one else on the team does, and no one in their farm system projects to bring to the team. That physicality that he brings is, especially with Cole out of the lineup, nearly non-existent on the team. So it, it's something that is a different angle for the abs and something that they desperately need. To get rid of it just makes them more one-dimensional. I don't get it either. I see him as an NHL defenseman. He can slot up in the lineup and take more minutes. He played significant amount of time last year with EJ. He, he is someone, like you said, if you lose Barry, you know you can get minutes from Zadorov, especially in the short term if you don't have, if you're not getting something back that you're going to be able to play in the lineup on defense. It's just, it seems petty. It seems like it's, a, it's an internal, it's a personal thing. Is it about because they're going to have to pay him and he has arbitration rights? Is it because something happened when he was healthy scratched? He said something or they said something. It's just, I, I didn't, the other problem is I don't see him bringing a bunch back. If he's bringing back a first and an A prospect, you know, maybe that's an argument, but I don't, he, he's just not going to. He doesn't have the points. He doesn't have the reputation. He doesn't have the fancy stats to back it up. What are you going to get for him? Probably not very much. I mean, you're probably right about that. But at, at this point, if we're chalking up the season, I said this in one of the discords earlier today, if you're chalking up the season as an L, I really am less worried about losing Zadorov than I would have been, you know, a couple of weeks ago when it was still possible that the Avalanche maybe might start winning games and make the playoffs. But because, um, I mean, you have the summer to try to find a replacement for what he brings and I mean, a lot of what he brings is inconsistency, mistakes, minor penalties. Like, he's not... I think Avs fans, because he brings such a unique element, overrate how good he is at it. If that makes I think sense. he's still an NHL defenseman. Like, I don't think that's just, like, fan hope. And the Avs have looked for so long just to have regular guys in the lineup, especially ones that aren't old, overpaid, slow let's say this season's a wash so you shouldn't even care about who's playing this season or not i'm worried about next year how are they going to fill that hole next year they right. can use that as an experience through the year and thus get thus risk letting him walk does that mean they're going to go out and the next yeah how you can't even like if you look at the defenseman class for this year's ufa it's not exciting D does that mean they're going to extend nemeth because I'm sure they're just waiting for an excuse to say, oh, we have to have Nemeth now. Like, right. I, don't, I don't see other come out ahead on a deal where they get rid of Zidorov. Well, I, I take a little now. bit of a different view on Zidorov. Um, I, I think, you know, with the... I know the contract that he signed last year was contentious just because he had an idiot for an agent and swapped agents and it got done right away. But I do think that the you know, the feeling from the Avs management was that, you know, this was a challenge uh, to become more than he was at that point. And I don't really think he has. I think when they acquired Cole this past summer, that was a bar that they set, you know, you beat out Cole or come close and he hasn't. And I, th I think when th they're looking at bringing in some younger defensemen with Makar 
and perhaps Timmons at some point. I know that's, you know, he's total magic beans, but it, it's something that they'd like to look at. Um, if I mean, they're they should looking be looking at, it should be Melosh, right? I mean, or Melosh. You if know, you're at, it'll never gonna... be Melosh. <clears throat> but anyway, it'll never be Melosh. <laughs> Why not? Um, because yes. What... <clears throat> anyway, but what they're looking at is bringing in some younger defensemen who are going to be inconsistent, and I just I don't think that they want a guy like Zadorov that they have to you know, babysit a little bit and, and they can't count on his consistency, you know, they don't need to deal with that while they're also trying to develop some of the younger defensemen at the same time. And it's just, you know, there, there's a bunch of reasons that they can tick off that, that he's sort of fallen short of their expectations. They, they haven't um, been able to count on anybody. The parade of crap that they've had over the last 10 years, like, sure, ideally, if you had, like, a fabulous defensive core and you'd say, well, Zadorov just doesn't quite match up, measure up. But, I mean, after what they have played before and probably after him, and it, he is the one that they come down the hardest on. Nobody else gets a healthy scratch. He's the only one on the whole team this had a performance-related healthy scratch. I, and, I mean, maybe so there's a saying, reason for that that we're not privy to. But and I, I mean, again, the, regardless, I and I, you know, I totally agree with your arguments that he's going to be, you know, someone that they're going to miss, and you know, that they probably should hold on to. But um, I mean, this is like sheer. He hasn't here. improved in the last two years over the contract they gave him, and, and that's you know that that's really tough to look at if you're. You know, if if you're a general manager, my question is there though. If you move Z and Barry, all of a sudden your defense is looking real thin. They so won't do you, that. If you only move Z, then now you have to figure out ways to shelter Makar because there's no way in hell they're playing Makar with Barry. So how, how can you even count on Barbario? He's made it right. I games. mean, does that mean now we have to play Nemeth twenty minutes a night again? Does that mean now we have to continue over playing Cole? The, yeah, the who, options who, of who not Zadorov, even if they don't like his issues, aren't better. Yeah, who can you count on? Who has been consistent? All right, but I mean, look at what the, look at what contract they're looking at. at, at, at giving him i mean it's like they're not going to sign him to a one-year deal i mean you're if you're going to sign nikita zadorov you're going to sign him to a three or four-year deal you can go so, yeah, I, do, I don't think they want to commit to that why, i think they should sign a one-year deal why would he sign that you can go yeah. through arbitration you can have him for a year why would you want to do that if you're the avs why would you want to sign nikita zadorov to a one-year deal to what does that get him? you yeah, if you're going to arbitration, the abs are picking two years every single time. I mean, even it, if they do, you're still looking at a guy that, you know, in two years hasn't made any big strides. I mean, like, do you see Z in their long-term plans? I mean, I, I just don't. They, they don't have long-term plans at all. All they I care know. about is next year. So he's definitely not in. <laughs> what it comes so... down to for me is I'm not ar- I'm not arguing that the Avalanche should or should not trade Zadorov. I just think that these are some of the reasons why. And I mean, this is pure speculation, but from the outside, it seems, and the only Zadorov is held accountable thing is some support for that. That he and Bednar are not a great fit. Probably yeah, not. I think that's pretty clear. For whatever reason, he and Bednar are not a great fit. 
And so you can understand why there may be some mutual motivation between the two sides to move on from Nikita Zadorov. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just as as bad as our defense has been lately. This is the closest we've been to a real NHL defense in five years. Yep. And I, I, Barry is someone you have to move out because you don't really have a choice. Like He's expected to walk in free agency. Why would we move away from other... Even if you don't want to call them what you want on the team, they're still assets. You're not making your team any better by getting them, getting rid of them unless it's just some ridiculous offer, which then you don't care. Right, I mean, everyone I just, makes I, fun I look of at Edmonton. it like he's going to be in the, in the bottom... To, you know, on the bottom pair again next year. So and I think they think they can address that with free agency easy. Enough. Oh, or, and we try we trust who they can. Address I trust them. no one in that organization. <laughs> I'm going through what they're thinking. I mean, this is this is an Edmonton move. As much as people love to laugh at Edmonton, you you trade O'Reilly for Zadorov. You trade Zadorov for a bag of pucks, which means you traded O'Reilly for. I think a bag they could of probably pucks. get something good for him. I I doubt it. <laughs> if you doubt he's worth anything good, then why do you want him as part of the? Roster? It's like EJ. I don't think yeah, exactly. If you can't, then why would you want him on your team? Because he's <laughs> yes. worth more to your team than than what you get. What the market is about perception, reputation. That's what and he's gets got a you. terrible reputation. He really right. Is. Yeah, around the league and with the Avs. So again, so I mean, why do you any case you make for him not making, back. you know. Not getting a good return in a trade is the same reason the Avs shouldn't keep him. Because I, I mean, see I, what I, he look, does I, re- the- I, I totally get what you're saying. Like they're going to have to replace him, and it's going to be awful. But I know, see what he does. I, I can on the see ice. the Avs would- saying, "If I'm not going to sign him for four years, then let's just move on." Now we're getting we're getting EK baby confirmed. Do it <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're gonna have e- we're gonna have EK and the next EK on the same blue line. Fuck yeah! Right. <laughs> so apart from Nikita Zadorov potentially moving, what do you think the Avs will do? I Very think little. And if anyone yeah, says Nikita Zadorov, I'm just going to mute you. No, we're we're past that. I I think they'll try to move Sven for something. He's been playing better yeah. lately, so maybe the attractiveness is up there. Um, it's I don't think they'll I, I don't think they'll look for a pick from him, but probably something you know. AHL um, tweener, baby, incoming. Another terrible AHL tweener. <laughs> Maybe hopefully a little better than that, but um... no, I think they're gonna use like a third to get like that Bert Burkowski, however you say his name. Um, if they do that, that's what Zadorov's getting traded for. Which they should. Everyone should be fired if that's what they get back for Zadorov because yeah. Burkowski's a hard no. Yeah, Burkowski's yeah. not very good. He's he's another. Wilson type trade. Okay, the guy's making over three million dollars. His qualifying offers over three million dollars. You can see coming a mile away. Caps are not qualifying this guy. So if you love him that much, wait till they don't qualify him, and then you can get him for cheaper. It's even but, then, like he is the he's Zadorov, but a forward. Like Bednar's gonna hate him. He has, six, <laughs> he has sixteen points. Like if he's any sort of solution to bring in to bolster your depth and your secondary scoring it's just ridiculous and then also to use like Zadorov's value to bring in a guy you're basically going to be able to get for free on July 1st is absolutely but we can fix him (laughs) I think they're going to make a deal like I don't I I actually 
think they're not even stupid enough to move Zadorov for him. They'll probably move a draft pick, maybe even next year's, because, you know, we can't have a, a, a draft where we have all our own picks, so they'll probably take for next year, nah, move I a th- pick for him. It won't be a full rental. I, I think at this point they can't justify a straight-up rental, like a haze, like a... yeah. A pending UFA, I don't think they can do it right now. But Thank they will t- they will probably go and buy a guy like Burakovsky who has term next year and sell this. This isn't a rental. This is to build our team. And it'll probably be some terrible deal where they give up the value in the trade and pay for it. I mean... The thing is with a rental, um, that would be the most ignorant thing they could possibly do. And yeah, so, rentaling would be unacceptable in any form. Like, yeah. there, there, it was even hard to make an argument for it when they were still in the playoff picture. But at this team, if numbers be damned, watch them play a hockey game, watch, the, watch them be unable to respond to giving up one goal, and this, this team's not in the playoff picture. So, if you trade you, for a rental right now, what are you even doing? Just fire yourself. Renting. You shouldn't be renting if you're unless you're Paying a couple someone contender. else's mortgage. Exactly. Like if if you're Toronto, <laughs> Tampa, San Jose, okay. Anybody you don't rent those... to get into contention. You rent no. to win. And even then, you go after the guys that would move the needle. You go after Panarin or Stone or a Duchesne. That moves the needle. Not this. Not a guy that has 16 points or whatever. Like, that, that does not help line. your team. Well, so this is how the Avs think. First, they have two-thirds, which... So they're they Jones and sell one. But they think, well, look at all these guys that we want to get rid of that are bottom sixers. We're not going to re-sign Wilson. We're not going to re-sign Andrew Ghetto. We can fill those holes with Burakovsky. And we'll give up a third for him instead of going through free agency because we suck at free agency. And that way but, we don't have to trade anybody now. But like the problem is then they go out and still get those dudes in free agency and all of a sudden all their holes are plugged and oh sorry Cout, we don't have room for you anymore. Yeah. Yep. And then it's like and they're here for two or three years. And that is how you get out GM to buy a potato. Confirmed. Don't Get out GM'd by a potato. Top meme. If I had to pick, I still, if I had to pick something or nothing, I would take nothing. Co-sign. Yeah, if we end up not buying, I'll be content. I'm sure the Avs will make their bit piece prospect AHL trade to keep the streak going or whatever, but... If they trade Sven Andragetto for a quadruple player, I think it even makes their team better. Because, like, they... We know how, yeah. how thin the Eagles are. We know how little of an impact Finn has the NHL level. I mean, if that's all they do, that's a win for me. I still think trading Greer's on the table. I mean, it does seem like maybe they finally figured out to give him a real opportunity. I mean, maybe the time on ice is. isn't going to be there, but at least at least they're playing him in consecutive games. They didn't send him I out. Still, yeah. yeah, but I still think it's on the table that... It, I- I think it's the other guy. I think someone might be interested in Tony. Tony Onato. So even without all this trade noise coming up for next, not 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 Monday as we release the show, but the following Monday, even without all that trade noise, next week is still busy, busy 
because there's actually hockey games to still play, believe it or not. Uh, starting on Monday, a 7 o'clock Mountain start at home against the Vegas Golden Knights. Then on Wednesday, it's a rematch at home with the Winnipeg Jets. An early start here for some reason. That's 6.30 Mountain. On Friday, wow. the, the Avs travel to Chicago for a 5.30 Mountain start with the Blackhawks. That game's on Altitude 2, the Ocho. All others being on Altitude. And then with a 22-hour turnaround, they're back on the ice Saturday, 3.30 Mountain in Nashville against the Predators. Will Colorado win more than zero games this week? I doubt it. No, I'm not counting on it. <laughs> yes. Is that Maybe. game that is that more than zero games the Chicago game? That one seems like the likely one, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I'd, I'd say out of all of them, probably Winnipeg's the the closest to a, a win that you could see. Winnipeg's on the yeah, bus hard right now. I agree. No, they're not. They're not beating Winnipeg twice in one week. See, Here's the thing, that, though. But there's also the Winnipeg is playing awful right now, Angle. I know. Yeah. They're still not going to beat and, Winnipeg twice in one week. And, like, look at what these teams have to play for, too. Like, Winnipeg and Nashville are first and second. Yeah, they're fighting each other for who's first and who's second, but they're making the playoffs. They don't give a shit. Uh, Vegas and Chicago especially are, like, fighting for their lives. So they're going to yeah. come out and give the Avs absolutely fucking everything. So I'm not I'm not looking forward to it. Simeon Maybe Marlon Vegas Wolf is the co-owner of the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Especially on the road. But yes, they are playing I, Chicago is playing a lot better. I guess you could say maybe Vegas. Vegas hasn't been playing that well lately, but the Avs just match up so horribly with Vegas. Yeah, that... do. Gallant has their number big time. He's very trusted them. I th I think the Hawks are I mean, they're just a terrible defensive team. If if the Avs can take advantage of that, fine. Um, but it's just, you know, they're going to have to win like 8 to 7 or <laughs> something like that. They score first. They score first against Chicago. They get like a yeah. two lead. I, I hadn't The Varley Magic just hasn't felt there against Chicago this year. Yeah. They haven't even played in Chicago though. That, but that's against where he them. loves to play. It's in Chicago. Ever since yeah. he got Yeah, he got taken out by the Hawks last year, and I think that might have broken the magic. <laughs> he got the magic physically broken. Yep. I I'd be fine if they lost every game until the deadline because any hint of delusion needs to stay away. After the deadline, yeah, they can get some... Someone needs to shut Ryan Clark victories. up about the bye-bye-bye thing. Please don't. <laughs> like... <laughs> it one buy is too many. <laughs> Three is just <laughs> apocalyptic. Honestly, you can't blame him because Sackick said that. Like, the headline was the Avs won't sell top picks or prospects for rentals. Well, you know what the headline says for other teams? so-and-so will not sell any picks or prospects for rentals. Like well, That's that what Vancouver said because they're hosting the draft. <laughs> that's <laughs> smart. They're also not worried about, I don't know, playoff experience for their young kids and all the other excuses that come up. No, they actually have a plan and they're going for it. But so Sack says, we're not using our first or our top prospects. But we're still looking at buying some secondary scoring. They're looking is... at improving the team. I mean, that, that that's a pretty safe thing to say. I mean, we're looking if at you improving can trade... our team and then wait till Monday night, and then he'll say but... we like our guys. 
I mean, he said yeah. we're looking for secondary scoring. Like he basically said the word buy. That was two weeks That's- ago. I they mean, were still shitty two weeks even, ago. Even like from a PR standpoint, you're three points out of a playoff spot. You can't say, "No, nah, we're tanking, boys." Yeah, I mean, it's like you got to give the guys in the room something, like you know, like we're not abandoning these fellows. We're going to help them any way we can, which is what he said. I mean, I just, I, I don't see, I, I don't see buy. being able to justify, you know, buying anything. He said, "Buy." It wasn't like. Yeah, I get what you're saying. The whole standard, we're always open to improving our team. Like, that's pretty vague. No, he yeah. pretty much said, we're looking to buy. And everyone knows it. That's why it's in every article. I really didn't take that net. out of that conference. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, even funny. a conference. It looked like Mike Chambers saw him in the hallway, turned on a camera, and cornered him. Yeah, it was. No, it was. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird interview. <laughs> it was that he popped out of his hole and was like, "We're gonna do the deadline press conference right now. Get your recorders out." And they're all like, "Uh, okay." <laughs> that way, nobody can prepare questions. That way, nobody asked about Farley. That way, nobody asked about like, are they gonna play anyone like Cout this year? That's why they basically asked him nothing, and that's the perfect way to do it. Don't give him any advance notice. Therefore, nobody has questions. We can get it over with. Like all the other GMs have sat down with NHL.com and stuff. I mean, it really is ridiculous and embarrassing the way that they treat information. And I don't blame the reporters at all for this. I guess except for not coming up with real questions on the spot because they don't know anything about the team and the history of the team. But they didn't ambush well, Adrian's them. Adrian's been there he since day one. Them. Yeah, for real. <laughs> well, the, the good news is, TV, in, in a week and a day, you don't have to be nervous about the trade deadline anymore because it will be over. And then I'll be upset about what happened. But yes, I cannot wait for the deadline to be over. It keeps me up at night. It stresses me out. It makes me sick to my stomach. It's the worst. It's awful. It's the worst time of the year. It's horrifying. Well, think about how good you'll feel if Sackick, like sells somebody for a pick. And that doesn't be, buy can you imagine if he actually pulled that off? That would be a Colin Wilson for a third. Whoa, Come on. We'd turn have a, a fourth party. into a third. <laughs> Surely not. We'd have oh, a huge party. No one can do but that. But sure, it'll be fun to see what happens with Stone and Duchesne and I doubt Panarin and Bob Ross. See, that's moving. that's where I'm at. Like, I just put the horrible absence to the back of my mind and go, you got a first, second, and third for Thomas Tatar? Yeah. <laughs> what planet am I living on? Yeah, we're yeah gonna... and we don't want to get on, get in with that, get into the, the deadline delusion. We just want to watch someone, everyone else do it. Someone buys Lucic for a third. So that'll be fun. That will be next Monday, starting at whatever time a.m. we get our asses into the Discord chat. Um, You know that the NHL GMs will definitely not be making deals at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern, but they may, you know, may start letting them trickle in a little bit later than that. It's usually, what, about like 11 Eastern that things start to kick off? I I usually make it a tradition to get up at the start of Trade Center, so if people want to shoot... In the chat, I'll be there. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did last year. I did the same thing, except instead of actually watching Trade Center, I just played Minecraft. I mean, yeah, <laughs> to have something going on your other screen at least. It's a lot more interesting there's, than Trade Center. There's also two other things that happen on that day. Uh, at midnight, rosters are unlimited for the rest of the season. And by three, you have to have your guys on the AHL roster if you want them to be eligible for the rest of the season there and, and the playoffs, of course. Um, 
So we'll, we'll, we'll see how the Avs handle that. We'll find out. We'll probably burn all their, their call-ups, papering ah. down dries <laughs> for the playoffs. <laughs> well, no matter how many games the Avs win, players the Avs sell or buy, you know you can find out here. It will not be the normal Sunday recording for a Monday show. We'll be at you live in the Discord on Monday late morning and afternoon, and we'll probably just record the show right there. So if anybody wants to join in with uh, like text chat questions, we'll be taking them. Um, otherwise, just a normal read. You can catch us on SoundCloud.com slash Burgundy Radio, or we post every show on BurgundyRainbow.com. And uh, again, let's just pump the Discord. If we need people to come in and have positive things to say and be fun and entertaining <laughs> Bring your jokes, we need them. Um, keep your head up in the dirty areas, and we'll see you on Monday. How are we referring to you on this show? Uh, probably just Mr. Tiger Vixen will probably be easier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I told him it's just to prove that somebody's actually married to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to have a robot start speaking, but text the chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should put a vocoder on his feet. <laughs>